Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome here to church this morning. My name is Grant. And my name is Gail. And we're going to get the service started for you. So if it's the first time here, welcome to you. You may give us a shout at hello at cedarvalley.ca or even just drop us a comment there. Yeah, it's actually been really cool. Uh, you know, this is online, so we don't always get to see who's watching us, who's mm -hmm. hanging out, but we've connected with a few new couples who've just hit up Google and said, where's a church near me? We've connected well, so welcome here again. And uh, if there's more of you out there, we just want to get to know who, who you are and mm -hmm. yeah, make that connection, It'd be fantastic. And the best ways for everybody to stay informed is by following us on Facebook, Instagram. You can head over to our website, cedarvalley.ca, sign up for our weekly email newsletter, just to kind of get a sense of what's going on week to week, any announcements. Mm -hmm. uh, there's devotional posts that our pastoral team throws up there during the week too. And yeah, lots of good stuff. And if anything has really impacted you, hmm. hit share. We want others to be able to be a part of this. Absolutely. And man, the weather has been really nice these past couple of days, right? Last week was mm -hmm. below zero overnight and this week's been like 25. And it has made me think of something. Camp Squia, right? So good in the sun. I think like a couple years ago, it was like 35 degrees on a day and we were trying to play baseball. It was way too hot. And it's one of the best Sundays of the year. As a church, we head up to Hope, out into the mountains, get together to worship and eat and laugh and just relax together. Mm -hmm. I love Camp Squia. Mm -hmm. This is a tentative date, but we want you to put this on your calendar. So for a day trip on Sunday, May 30th, for an outdoor church service, lunch, and hopefully lots of sun. So once again, put that on your calendar mm -hmm. and that, uh, is hopefully the day we get to go. Yeah, save the date and we'll keep you updated as mm -hmm. more plans progress for that. And we also wanted to thank all of you for your faithful and generous support of the work and ministry we do here at Cedar Valley Church. Uh, in prayer and time and service and financial generosity, you are a very generous church uh, congregation and we've been able to just thrive during this pandemic. And if uh, if you are interested in any specific information on our financials, you can get that in our weekly email newsletter. And again, you can sign up for that on our website. Mm -hmm. And if you've joined us this morning and are prepared to give, you may also do that online at cedarvalley.ca slash give. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get the service started here. Uh, right away, we're going to be led in a time of worship singing. There's going to be lyrics on the screen. Our worship teams have recorded some songs for you so you can hum or sing, join in, however you feel comfortable at home. Mm -hmm. And this morning, Pastor Doug will be doing a special lesson for the kids. Uh, we also tried to get some of the interactive materials to each of the kids and parents to engage in the activities and conversations about faith together. Mm -hmm. You may email Pastor Doug to uh, get this information if you're interested. Yeah, and following up with that, we're in the Gospel of John. Pastor Rob is bringing us through chapter 13 this week, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be a good message. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, it is really good to be prepared. I know I love to read the chapter that we're going to be um, listening to a couple times before that mm. Sunday, and it really is helpful to already um, be prepared at what we're going to learn. I might be more prepared than me this week. <laughs> yeah, and you know, before we get into all of that, uh, there's, there's something that's been on my mind right now, Gail, is uh, springtime, you know, right now is the time where we start looking at our summer plans. And so some stuff is starting up in the summer. It's going to be new, some kids camps or whatever, day camp stuff like that, or you're going on for big vacations or traveling a, a little bit, you know, within your communities this summer, it'll probably be. Mm -hmm. 
But some stuff is coming to an end as well. High school, graduations, it's finals time for college and university. Uh, Awana's wrapping up in a couple weeks. And so prayerfully, I've been really thinking, you know, how God can use us in this mm -hmm. time coming up as a church, as me individually in our faith, uh, yourself as well. And so this morning, I kind of want to just spend some time in a bit of prayer and reflection on that, how God can and guide us through this upcoming season. So would you mind starting us off with prayer this morning? Oh, I'd love to. Awesome. Let's bow our heads. Yes, Heavenly Father, we do want, um, want to praise you this morning. We want to join in you, uh, join with you as uh, we step into this next season of spring. And we want to um, be guided where you would have us lead, where you lead, Lord. Um, we just pray for wisdom and as we meet with others just a a soft heart of um, getting to know our neighbors or or whatever you have planned for us lord we love you thank you amen cedar valley take some time to join in with this prayer as a church let's just lift this up like god guide us for this season coming up how he can use us as a whole individually you can pray through the comments you can pray at home or even just text a friend and uh, other than that thanks for joining us
Hey Cedar Valley kids, what is your favorite tub toy? Now, I know that maybe some of you have graduated from the tub to the shower, but, and so if that's the case, maybe you switched a tub toy for a back scratcher in the shower, but whoa, that's a toilet brush, yikes, get out of here. Anyways, if you don't bath anymore and only shower, you probably still remember some of your favorite tub toys. I know I do, and usually when you're in the bath, you've got lots of bubbles, and they're kind of rising up. Well, we've got bubbles coming from the top and down because we don't have a tub, but it's full of bubbles around here today. Now, some of the toys that maybe you had in your tub was maybe you had somebody like a Nemo fish here that you played with, and it's like, uh-oh, watch out Nemo, piranha's coming, and you played some games. Or maybe a cute little mermaid that dove in and out of the tub, or kind of like a little squid guy that would dive down and you'd have to search for him. One of the really cool things that our kids had in the tub was Noah's Ark. There's Noah and Mrs. Noah, and the ark is crammed full of animals, and they would float across the waves in the tub. How much fun is that? But the thing that every tub needs, you got it, a little rubber duck. A bath, a tub, really isn't complete without one. Now, when you were in the tub, did you ever get your washcloth soaked full of water and grab it in your mouth and suck all the water out of it. I know I did, I can still remember that. Or did you slide back and forth in the tub until you made a great big tidal wave and things were splashing and tipping and that was so much fun until you created a tidal wave right over the side of the tub onto the bathroom floor and then you're in trouble. But you know what? all kinds of fun. Now, when one of our kids was really little, and I won't say her name, but it rhymes with schmasselin, when she was really small, when she was having a bath, she would stand up right in the middle of the tub. She would fold her hands and she would squeeze her eyes closed really tight and she would pray. And she would pray for all kinds of things. But she would always end with and thank you, Jesus, for things that float. <laughs> and we thought that was funny. Well, you do kind of funny stuff when you're in the tub. But you know what? Baths in the tub, either you love having baths, or some kids, they don't like them at all. Well, often, kids just don't want to be washed, really. Often your mom is saying, oh, you need to go wash. You have to wash. You can't sit down before you wash. And oh, do we have to wash? But do you know what? Whoa, there's a bubble right there. There was someone in the Bible who actually wanted to be washed. His name was Peter in John chapter 13. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is having dinner with his buddies. They're all up in the room together and they had a great dinner. And then do you know what Jesus does? He gets a bowl fills it with water, gets a towel, and he starts walking around, going to all of his buddies, and he kneels down, right down, and he undoes their sandals, and he starts to wipe and wash their feet. And 
They thought this was crazy. And Jesus is doing this to all of his buddies, and he comes to Peter. Peter's, whoa, 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 hang on, what are you doing? And Jesus says, you need to let me do this. Well, don't just do my feet. Peter says, wash all of me, my head, my hands, everything, get me all clean. And Jesus goes, no, Peter, you don't understand. I'm not doing this to get you clean because your body is already clean, but I'm showing something how to serve, and I want you to do the same type of thing. See, the deal was, when you got invited to somebody's place for dinner, you would walk there along a dusty road, you'd have sandals on, and when you got to the door, your feet were going to be quite dirty. So often what they did, if they could afford it, the person who, had the, who was having the dinner, they would have their servant, and if they couldn't afford a servant, then maybe one of the kids in the house, they would come up to you, they would undo your sandals, they would wash your feet, so when you went into the table, your feet were nice and clean. That was the servant's job. But Jesus says, I'm doing this to you to show you how we can serve. And that was a really great lesson for all of them to learn. Now, so my question is for you, how can you serve someone? Now, don't go running down the street and stop somebody and pull their shoes off and their socks off and start wiping their feet. That'd just be weird. But, Jesus, what kind of things can you do to serve people, to help them? It's not just a job for a servant or somebody who's, who's working to do that. Jesus says, if you are friends of mine, you will serve people. And that's really cool. Actually, in John chapter 13, verse 17, listen to this. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Wow. Friends of Jesus live like Jesus, and part of that is serving others. So, here's what I want you to do. Think of a really neat way that you could just serve someone. It could be really simple, or it could be something big. And I'd love to hear from you. So you can send me a note. And I'd love to hear a way that you could serve someone else because you're friends with Jesus. Thanks for listening so well. And hopefully you're going to have a great next bath or a shower, whatever it is. See you later, kids. Cedar Valley, um, from, from bubbles to ducks. Wow. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, okay. Thanks, Pastor Doug. Um, I love Peter. Uh, I love Peter. Uh, he's, he's my kind of guy. He's an all-in kind of guy, which, uh, as we'll learn today, can have its pros and cons. If you would turn with me to John chapter 13, where we continue our series uh, called The One and Only, in behind me, on the book of John. And we're going to dig deep on one particular story in that chapter, which is featured in our uh, mural today uh, by the feet pictured down there below. I don't know if you can see them very well, but they're there. Thank you, Grant. Good job. You can't really see the toes, though. Can you see the toes? 
Oh, okay, good. Uh, but before we turn to the, the scripture particularly, we'll get there for sure. Uh, I want to ask you a couple questions just to set it up a little bit, and maybe some of the tone for it. And they are this. How, how do you know somebody loves you? What is it that you hear and see and, and feel when someone loves you? What is, their, what is their disposition towards you? Maybe I can put it that way. So let's go to the text. Um, but before we do, wow, it's funny. Love, love is a word. Uh, it's a key word, actually, in chapters 13 to 17 in the Gospel of John. Uh, he will use it a whopping 31 times in those five chapters compared to using it only six times in the preceding 12 chapters. Whew! So let's begin. Verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved, there's the first, his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. There's the second out of those 31 in the next five chapters. Jesus would die in less than 24 hours. What would you do with your remaining time on the planet if you only had 24 hours to live? I wonder what he did. Would you spend it with those you love? Um, would there be like a deep dive on pizza eating and chocolate? Would you do both? Jesus, with that time, showed those he loved the full extent of his love. Now, to be clear, God in Jesus loves everyone. When John talks about Jesus loving his own, we shouldn't think of that as exclusive. Like Jesus loved the 12 way more than he loved anybody else, but rather that that love, because it was returned by the 12 to him, had a different dynamic, different texture. Like when I was in grade four and I loved Bernadette Kelleher, real name, not made up, but she didn't love me back. She didn't do or say anything to return my innocent grade four love. Uh, I hope you're watching Bernadette. I want you to know that I'm okay. As one commentator puts it, Jesus has done some things for all men. He has also done all things for some men, meaning this, he has done all things for those who have placed their faith and their trust in him. Jesus loved these men who loved him, and now he would show it to the uttermost, as one translation puts it. Jesus would show them the nature and the way of love in an object lesson, and then he would show them the full extent of his love, to the very end, literally by laying his life down for them. Back to our first questions. Would your go-to answer have been, I would know that someone loved me if they served me 
and gave their life to me because that's what Jesus has done. Verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, so son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So with that knowledge in mind, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So, Jesus and his disciples were eating a meal together, and then he, Jesus, got up to wash their feet. We may not know this, but there are so many curious things going on in this scene that there wasn't a servant in the room to wash their feet, that the disciples themselves didn't offer to do the foot washing, that Jesus didn't wash their feet before the meal, as would have been the custom of the day, and that Jesus, 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 the leader teacher of the group, took on the role of a servant. Like, what is going on? So this was an intimate real, intimate meal, real friends, no servants, just tight, close, knitted, group of people hanging out together, teacher and students. And yet I'd guess that at the moment Jesus stood to wash their feet, some, if not all of those students, those disciples had a Homer-esque moment like, I should have done that. And they should have actually by the custom of their day. Disciples washed their teacher's feet, never vice versa. What? was Jesus doing? He was reversing the roles. But why? And that's the real question, isn't it? And we're going to get to that in a moment. Why did he reverse the roles? So before we get there, let's take note of a few other things going on here. Um, Jesus was aware, aware that his hour, which he had talked about, that hour when he would give his life, had arrived. Aware, too, that Judas was about to betray him, and then aware that now was the time to demonstrate the nature and the way of real love. He got up at a time in their meal when it would have been odd for him to do that, drawing attention to the moment as if to say, I've got something I want to show you. And it's really important. And he did this because he knew who he was and where he was going. He knew who Judas was and what he was about to do. And he knew the disciples needed this last, very personal teaching. Both my wife, Jackie, and I were struck by the setup for this story so far, that Jesus loved them, that he would show them the full extent of his love, that the full extent of Jesus' love was to serve, that all of this, and this is the key, this is what caught our attention, was preceded by Jesus' knowledge of his intimate relationship with God the Father and then his corresponding power. As if knowing who he was, Jesus, knowing who he was, gave him the freedom to do what he was going to do, even 
the freedom to love someone who he knew was going to betray him. Now that's something. Imagine that kind of freedom. Being so confident and secure in the knowledge that you are loved by God and that his power is at rest in you through his spirit. I think you could do anything. Insecurity wouldn't drive any petty power plays. Measuring up wouldn't motivate. Nothing would be beneath you. Everything flowing from a sense of acceptance and wholeness, ready to serve others then. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? There's more than incredulity at work here. There's, there's actually a kind of love and respect that Peter shows Jesus here. Servants were looked down upon in the ancient world, after all. Peter couldn't stand the thought of his teacher, his Lord, doing the work of a slave. It was intolerable for Peter. Jesus replied in verse 7, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. So, Jesus has a sense of how scandalous this reversal is. On the face of it, it was a simple act of humility, but like lots of things Jesus did and said, it was super layered and his disciples would only fully understand this event after the cross and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit who would help them understand it or lead them into all truth, as John's going to say later on in his gospel. No, 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 no way, said Peter. You should never wash my feet. Verse 8. So let's think about this for a moment. This is Peter saying no to the one who is, and Peter believes is the Messiah, the one who would heal all of humanity, the son of the living God. To quote Peter, from Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Peter's saying no to the God of the universe. It's like that echo effect. That was good. Uh, out of love and respect, for sure. But it, it lacks humility. The very thing Jesus is demonstrating here. I think it's safe to say that Peter was a mixture of humility he didn't want Jesus to perform such a lowly service and pride. He tried to dictate to Jesus. Reminds me a bit of myself at times, actually. How about you? Do you try to dictate to Jesus? Do you say no to him? Jesus says, I need you to use the gifts I've given you in service of others especially within your faith community. Do we say, no, I, I'm no one special. And besides, I don't really know how, how I'm gifted. Or I was hurt by someone who was critical of how I serve, so I just stopped serving. Or I've already given so much. It's somebody else's turn. So, so no. Jesus says, I need you to love your neighbors. I need you to tell them about me, especially how much I love them, and to tell them about the full extent of my love. Do we, do we say things like, no, I, I'm pretty shy. 
I, I, I wouldn't know what to say. I don't want to get anything wrong and embarrass you, Jesus. And, and, and besides, all, all my friends are Christians. What is it that you say no to Jesus about? And why? Jesus answered Peter in verse 8, Unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. No part with Jesus in this life of forgiveness and love and no part in the life to come, eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus. Since this is Peter's greatest desire, he responds then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. More of Peter dictating to Jesus. Jesus answered in verses 10 and 11, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Jesus was using a physical practice, which he does do, of the day to make a spiritual point by comparison. People would bathe before going to a special meal, but their feet would get dirty on the way since they wore sandals at a time of dirty roads and like, like poop on the road and like stuff on the road. And so when they arrive, they, these guests arriving, they'd only need their feet to be washed to be entirely clean again. So a good question to ask here is actually, what does this foot washing refer to? Because Jesus' reply looks beyond the moment to what it symbolizes. I'd say it symbolizes this, that the full body bathing, like a time in the tub, is the cleansing from sin on the cross. And the foot washing refers to the forgiveness that is applied to our daily sins. In practice, I think it can mean that our faith in Jesus and our obedience to him, like his obedience to God the Father, so our faith in him defines who we are and where we're going just as did Jesus at the start of this story, and that we need to stay mindful of this, to serve like he did. And then that confession of our daily sins, so agreeing that those things that we think and do and say that hurt our hearts and hurt others, that our confession of daily sin is like that, and then a gratefulness for our forgiveness, that's like a bar of soap, for our daily needs to clean our hearts and minds and, and maybe feet. How about you? Have you been cleaned head to toe by placing your faith in Jesus Christ? And if so, what is it that you need to confess to him that needs forgiveness today? Verses 12 through 17 to finish then. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Not necessarily you should do what I've done for you, but as I have done to you, the spirit of it, what's underneath it. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus explains his act of washing his disciples' feet by affirming his identity. But then he turns their common understanding, so as identity as teacher and Lord, but then he turns their common understanding of him as Lord and teacher on its ear by his humble and submissive act. Like, what Lord or teacher washes his disciples' feet? Well, the one sent by God the Father to show people what God is like, Lord and teacher, powerful and wise enough to outsmart and crush humanity, but who instead washes feet and offers himself on a cross for the, for the healing of, of nations. You see, Jesus did not set aside his lordship to become a servant. He just proved what kind of Lord he was and that all who claim to follow him are obligated to humility and sacrificial love for others. Because just as he is not greater than the one who sent him, God the Father, we are not greater than him who we would call our master. Spoken or unspoken, the excuses, I'm too good for that, or that's for lesser people, or that's beneath me, just don't have any place in the life of those who believe in and follow Jesus Christ. Which reminds me of a friend of mine, and this is where I'll end. He is the founder and the executive director of a fabulous nonprofit relief and development organization in uh, Chilliwack over the last 20 years. His organization has sent dozens and dozens of churches and hundreds of people from those churches to bless and care for thousands of people all over the world. But it turns out my friend cleans the toilets in his office every week. He lives a gospel life. He is a leader and a teacher. Servant is not a word he would use to describe himself. It's just the way he chooses to live based on the Savior he follows. To him, servant is not an adjective as in servant leader. It is simply a noun. Let me end where I began with some questions. How has it felt to be led by a leader who's proud and selfish. And then how has it be felt, how has it felt, by contrast, how has it felt to be led by a leader who is humbled and focused on you? And isn't it funny how these might relate to feeling loved and being loved and being someone who loves others? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this picture of who you are in your son, Jesus Christ, who is worthy of our sort of jaw-dropping adoration for who he is and where he is going. And there would have been this cultural expectation as we've been talking about that, that he would never be that kind of God to be the slave, 
But in this teaching, we have at its heart this model for us, which is when we know, when we are uh, mindful of our identity in you, mindful of how you think about us, and we let that ground who we are, we can help anyone anytime and serve like Jesus in our homes, as spouses, as parents, in our friendships, in our workplaces, wherever. Would you help us be those kinds of people? Not servant leaders, but just leaders who serve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As always, Cedar Valley, stay tuned. Grant and I are going to dig into some discussion questions to catalyze your own further thinking and reflection. So stay tuned. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us in for this morning. We're not done just yet. We, yet. Uh, we are actually just talking about this, a continuation of, this isn't like the ending segment, like our countdown sometimes is like, you know, come in wherever. This is actually part of our service. Yeah. That we want it to be a real part. It's continuing from the message, it's applying everything that we've done together today, prayed, we've prayed together, worshiped together, learned together, both kids and adults. And now we want to wrestle with this and chew on it and apply it into our yeah, lives. Yeah, and get it personal. Yeah. Yeah, so this first question is like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a big, as you said, it's a big question yeah. in terms of its uh, scope or, sure. yeah, how does God feel about you? How does seeing yourself the way God sees you affect your ability to do anything? So it's, you were saying previous to us cutting to this that uh, I'm not even sure how, I don't know the mind of God, but we do know the mind of God about how he feels about us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, based on script, it's just a big idea, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. yeah well, what does God think about me? Because yeah. <laughs> You know, there's a spiritual battle that goes on because here's the real thing that happens in my mind. When I think about this question, I can think about the example of Jesus, that he expresses it, like you said in this passage, that he loves us. Like, and amazingly, the people who hated him, he loved back. Yeah. But the enemy then puts this in other message inside of our head that's like, ah, yeah, but no way, you're a mess. Like, what a disaster. There's no way God thinks that highly of you. Yeah. And, and so that's yes. the thing that goes on in my head sometimes. So it becomes a big question, but your second part makes it really hit home. How, yeah. how does seeing yourself the way that we know based on the scriptures that God sees us lovingly with hope, with in his mind, the ideal creation he meant us to be in yeah. his kingdom. Yeah, so fantastic. We all have a big part in his body, right? Yeah, we in do. And I, so based on what you've already said, yeah. what the devil might tell us that would not be God's viewpoint of us, how do you get past that? You're, you're so much of a screw up that you can't do it. You, why would you do that? Or who yeah. do you think, like, how do you get, how do you get past that? Uh, yeah, you, you know, so prayer, scripture, yeah. the Sunday school, Knowing, answers, but actually yeah. staying rooted in the scripture. Mm -hmm. I think literally this, taking, listening to a pastor preach the truth of the scripture mm -hmm. and actually mm -hmm. listening to it, believing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is what I need to be rooted in. Now, when I'll read, sometimes I'll need a book that's rooted in like the Bible and then maybe a commentary beside it or uh, Christian living style, you'll see in House of James, something like that. But actually taking those truths where Jesus does simply say like, Peter, I love you. Yeah. To the, the guy who betrayed him, Judas, I love you. Yeah. Then, and taking that to heart. Yeah, because we live in an age of uh, sort of skepticism, right? We. Yeah. see and dissect and all that. But boy, I, I think in the end, you got to decide whose voice in your life you're going to trust. Yeah. Right. And yeah. 
if, if it isn't God of the universe who's made you and adores you, then, then whose? Yeah. So I like what you said. It's, it's prayer. It's, it's the scriptures. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes well. I think if you tell yourself that, just make yourself available, hmm. right? Because I, I think you can, you can prove that you're worthy of helping others by helping others. Yeah. And seeing the fruit right. that that produces, hmm. I think. So I think we talked about this before too, how Jesus' life isn't one series of interruptions after another, but he yeah. left his life open to interruption. Sure. He had this overarching mission towards the cross, but yeah. often the, the gospel stories are like, and he was on his way, and then they ran into this person or that person. He made himself available. I, I want to be that kind of person. Yeah, sure. You know, just a, this is a thought, because I, I love that okay. a lot. I don't want to make this thing too long, but this is just coming to me as something super practical mm. for yeah, please. seeing ourselves the way God sees us, our self-image being so important is, you've taught me this, that we are, a human nature thing is that we're so easy to take, uh, we hear positive stuff and encouragement, we hear negative stuff and criticism, and man, we put so much weight on the negative oh, stuff. Oh, it's true for me too. There's yeah. even just a stat that's like, you know, it takes 10 positive yeah. things to outweigh one negative comment, but yeah, I, I know my wife, Leslie, does great stuff like this and like journaling, literally writing down the stuff, like what, mm. what did somebody say mm -hmm. that was encouraging to be today? Okay, yeah, sweet, mm -hmm. now, and like do some math, right, and see that there's often a lot of very positive stuff about your character, about your life, that is godly reflections in your life. And I don't want to make this longer than we need to either, but there's something that's coming to me now. Oh, good. Related to that first piece. Uh, so we talked about scripture, we talked about preaching, we talked about praying, we talked about just doing, experiencing, but I think there's a real key that we missed here, which is just friendships. About the friendships you keep, who's speaking truth and, and God's sort of visualized reality for you. Like, hey, right. God loves you, you know that, right? Uh, tell me about that. Like, that's really important. So the friends we keep, I think, is probably well, that's going to go straight into this mm. question, I think. I think you're right. What do you say no to Jesus about? What are you saying no to him about right now? Why? What do you need to confess today? And I think you made that segue because before we started shooting, we talked about the, uh, the James says in his letter that we ought to confess our sins to one another. Yeah. So this would be super awkward if we started confessing a whole bunch of really dark yeah. personal stuff. Yeah, here, the right? comment stream might not be the place for that. And <laughs> right, thanks that, for saying that. Not that we're saying, you know, like keep it internal, that's good. No, I, no, but we are saying there should be people in your life that love you, want yes. best things for you, and will keep confidence. Yes, yes. And then, and then pray with you and check in. Is that, is that what we're saying? Yes, that's what okay. we're saying. Yeah, yeah, to have those kind of... So don't populate the chat part with that stuff Because that's the heart of, so my clear answer, and this is my little preach with it, but it's exactly this story. Jesus, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And Peter's saying, like, not a chance, right? My feet have stunk bad sometimes, right? I used to have those Vibram toe shoes. And the big thing with those is they, have you ever okay. seen those things? No. Like Vibram five toes or whatever they're called. Oh, yeah, I have seen yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they make your feet wretched. So gross, right? Sure. And my thought is just thinking like, hey, you got stinky feet. Like I wouldn't want those even within 10 feet of my wife, Leslie, who I trust with everything. Because that's so embarrassing. Never mind asking her to wash those feet. Yeah, Or right? letting her wash those feet. Yeah. yeah so, so like the dirt and everything, that metaphor is yes. that in your soul, the sin in your life, the things yeah. that you're like, okay, yeah, Jesus, I don't even want you to see this stuff. The things I do in the dark, behind closed doors, on the computer, in cognito mode, yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want you to yeah. look at that. Yeah, so we're, in, and we're encouraging and inviting you to, to first go to Jesus and say, that's what it is. Yes. Name it and just be honest with him about it. There's no condemnation there. Actually, in that moment, what you, I, I hope you're, you understand is that he's, he has forgiven you. Mm. You're there to say, oh, yeah, I, that's not helping me. 
Mm. Thanks for putting that on the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Jesus, for covering that forgiveness. And, uh, uh, and, and then go to a friend. And, and, and yeah, and he's willing. Oh, like he is willing he's to right wash there. Peter's feet, to yeah. wash Judas's feet. Yes. And, yes. and ours and yeah. our lives. Yeah. So what's the cap off here? To have a close friend that you trust, to yes. hold stuff accountable in confidence with that you can confess to, you can wrestle with through both to God and to a person in your life. Yeah, and I, I like the word accountability, but I think it has baggage. Yeah. Uh, I would suggest maybe, the two words I love are challenge and encourage. Mm -hmm. So challenge people towards better things like Jesus is, and then when they hit it, say, oh, how did that, an encouragement in that. Sure. That's good. I, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. So that's a lot of stuff to chew on. Cedar Valley, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Keep this stuff going in the chat yeah. bar with your friends. Start up a Zoom meeting with a small group if you got that. Phone Contact us. Contact us if you need to chat. If you want to yeah. find or build a mentoring or a relationship of challenging and encouraging like that too, we'd love to help you do that. Yep. So we'll see you next week. Thanks, Cedar Valley.